We are in this message series called Ready for Anything. We're looking at seven big themes in the in the book of Revelation. If you've got a new if you've got a Bible with you, I want you to start getting there now. Revelation is the very last book in the Bible. If the Bible is new or unfamiliar to you, I want you to think about it as a library, not a book. It's a library with 66 books in it. It's divided into two main parts, the Old Testament and the New Testament. And in each of those, so we're in the end of the New Testament, the last book. Each of those books is called something. So this one's called Revelation. And when you open a Bible, you're looking to see big numbers. That's the chapter. You're going to see little numbers. That's the verse. And so we were talking about chapter and verse. It's just a way to navigate through the Bible. When when these things were written, they did not originally come with chapters and verse numbers. It just helps us find our way through the Bible. If you use a digital Bible, that's fine on your phone or tablet this morning. Uh, but we're going to be in a variety of passages in Revelation. And we've been looking at these uh, these themes. So we, we talked about, um, you know, last week it was called to wake. That Jesus calls us to wake up. So I noticed this morning we're saying, awake my soul. It's a perfect kind of follow-up for last week. The week before that we talked about being called to truth. And we're calling us ready for anything because I want you to understand that we are in the, we are in the last days. We are in the end of times. And things are accelerating globally and in terms of history. And we want to be ready for whatever is coming. Whatever kinds of things we're going to face. If we were believers today in, say, Iran, or if we were believers today, uh, say, in, in China, or uh, Yemen, let's say, or uh, even, uh, say, parts of, say, Sudan, uh, or you just name any number of countries, uh, there's like a, a list of something like 140 kind of countries where Christians are persecuted, officially persecuted, and some can meet openly and some have to meet secretly and those believers are figuring out that the cost of following jesus might be a high price to pay and yet they continue to do it i'm hearing amazing stories out of iran that the church is just growing and growing out of a great desperate time so we want to be like those believers ready for anything and today we're going to talk about worship uh, because um, this is one of the big themes in the book of revelation okay so how does worship being ready for anything and how does worship and the, the worship of heaven so specifically, how does it relate to what you're dealing with right now? I'd say it relates because you are made to worship. You are created to be a worshiper. So we all worship something or someone, whether we realize it or not. We are all worshiping at any given time. And it might be, it might be God. It might be money. It might be relationships. It might be our kids. It might be pleasure. We might be worshiping addiction or work or approval or any number of things. And, and the reality is, you say, Brian, I'm not worshiping. I'm just trying to get through life. I'm just trying to make life work. I'm just trying to survive to the next day. I'm just trying to pay the bills and just just stay afloat. Just trying to keep my head above water. And, and I understand that. Many of us are living with little to no margin in our lives. You've got no margin financially in your life. You've got no margin time-wise in your life. You've got no margin for relationships. You feel like, I don't have time for anybody, think any any people, extra people in my life. I'm just maxed out. That's how many of you are feeling all the time. And it, it, some of you are dealing with like like trauma. You're dealing with hardship. You're dealing with conflict in your life. You think, and you're going to talk to me about worship? Isn't that like... Kind of a luxury to do when everything's going great. No. Worship, you are made to worship. And when we properly understand worship, it has this amazing 
calibrating effect in our life. You know what I mean by that? It brings things back into alignment for us. It, it, it sets us back and like, okay, God is God. I'm not. Whatever happens, I, I, I can trust Him. If I lose everything, if I gain everything, whatever happens, I've got the Lord. It's going to be okay. So whatever difficulty you're facing now, the path to victory, I really believe, begins with worship. And so I'm going to walk you through several um, passages in Revelation. Uh, Morgan, let's go to that slide there. And I'm going to start with, with chapter 4. And I'll just have you stand for the last one. When we get to Revelation 19, I'll have you stand for that. I know it's quite a few verses, but I want to give you kind of an overview of the worship experience of heaven. All right, you ready? Okay, we're in Revelation chapter 4. Big number 4, small number 1. Revelation chapter 4. John is writing this. It's what he's been seeing, what's being revealed to him by, by, uh, by Jesus. And he says this. Then I, as I looked, I saw a door standing open in heaven. And the same voice I had heard before spoke to me like a trumpet blast. And the voice said, come up here and I will show you what must happen after this. And instantly I was in the spirit and I saw a throne in heaven and someone sitting on it. The one sitting on the throne was as brilliant as gemstones. Okay, so John's now going to like try to describe what he's seeing. How do you describe something to someone else when they haven't seen what you've seen? But he's going to try. He said, the one sitting on the throne was as brilliant as gemstones, like, like jasper and carnelian. And the glow of an emerald circled his throne like a rainbow. And 24 thrones surrounded him and 24 elders sat on them. And they were all clothed in white and had gold crowns on their heads. And from the throne came flashes of lightning and the rumble of thunder. You, know, you caught that we just sang that, right? And in front of the throne were seven torches with burning flames. This is the sevenfold spirit of God. And in front of the throne was a shiny sea of glass sparkling like crystal. And in the center and around the throne were four living beings, each covered with eyes, front and back. The first of these living beings was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a human face. And the fourth was like an eagle in flight. Each of these living beings had six wings. And their wings were covered all over with eyes, inside and out. And day after day and night after night, they kept on saying, they keep on saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, the one who was, who is, and who is still to come. And whenever the living beings give glory and honor and thanks to the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down and worship the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever. And they lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For You created all things and they exist because You created what You pleased. Let's move to chapter 5, picking up at verse 6. He says, then I saw a lamb that looked as if it had been slaughtered or slain is another translation for that who had been killed. But it was now standing between the throne and the four living beings and among the 24 elders. And he had seven horns and seven eyes, which represent the sevenfold spirit of God that is sent out into every part of the earth. He stepped forward and took the scroll from the right hand of the one sitting on the throne. And when he took the scroll, the four living beings and the 24 elders again fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they held gold bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song with these words. You are worthy to take the scroll and break its seals and open it for you were slaughtered and your blood has been has ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. 
And you have caused them to become a kingdom of priests for our God, and they will reign on the earth. And then I looked again and I heard the voices of thousands and millions of angels around the throne and the living beings and the elders. And they sang in a mighty chorus, worthy is the lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea. And they sang blessing and honor and glory and power and belong to the one sitting on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. And the four living beings said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshipped the Lamb. You getting a sense of the expanse of this? You see how it's just growing larger and larger. Let me take you now to chapter 7. Chapter 7, picking up at verse 9. After this I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language standing in the in front of the throne and before the Lamb. And they were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands. And they were shouting with a mighty shout, Salvation comes from the Lord, from our God, who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living beings. And they fell before the throne with their faces to the ground and worshiped God. And they sang, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and strength belong to our God forever and ever. Amen. Let me take you over to chapter 15, starting at verse 1. Chapter 15, then I saw in heaven another marvelous event of great significance. Seven angels were holding the seven last plagues, which would bring God's wrath to completion. I saw before me what seemed to be a glass sea mixed with fire, and on it stood all the people who had been victorious over the beast and his statue and the number representing his name. They were all holding harps that God had given them. And they were singing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. Great and marvelous are your works, O Lord God, the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear you, Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous deeds have been revealed. And if you'll please stand for the reading of God's Word in chapter 19. Chapter 19, beginning at verse 1. And after this, I heard what sounded like a vast crowd in heaven shouting, Praise the Lord! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. His judgments are true and just. He has punished the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality. He has avenged the murder of His servants. And again, their voices rang out. Praise the Lord! The smoke from that city ascends forever and ever. And then the 24 elders and the four living beings fell down and worshipped God who was sitting on the throne and they cried out, Amen, praise the Lord. And from the throne came a voice that said, Praise our God, all His servants, all who fear Him, from the least to the greatest. And I heard again what sounded like the shout of a vast crowd or the roar of a mighty ocean waves or the crash of loud thunder. Praise the Lord, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice And let us give honor to Him. For the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb. And His bride has prepared herself. She has been given the finest pure white linen to wear. For the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. And the angel said to me, Write this. 
Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And he added, these are true words that come from God. And then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said, no, don't worship me. I am a servant of God, just like you and your brothers and sisters who testify about their faith in Jesus. Worship only God, for the essence of prophecy is to give a clear witness for Jesus. Let's be seated. We thank the Lord for his word. You see this worship happening in heaven. It's grand, it's expansive, and it's flipping back and forth between worshiping God at His throne and worshiping Jesus, the Lamb who was slain, the one who was killed for our sin and raised to life again. And when we use the word worship, when we talk about worship, you know, we are usually referring to what we just did before. We sang four songs in corporate praise, and we talk about, well, we had our time of worship. Worship is really a mindset, a worldview, a way of understanding, a way of living. It's a, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a lifestyle. So everything can be worship. When you serve others, if you're doing it for the glory of God, that's worship. When you're, when you're giving, done in submission to God, that's worship. If you do your work on your day to day job and you do it with excellence and you're doing it so that God is honored, as a, as a great testimony, that's worship. Right? The, the way you raise your kids and your grandkids with a desire to raise them to know and love and follow Jesus, that's worship. Everything is honoring to God. But, in our everyday language, in our day-to-day kind of way of thinking about this, by worship, when we say that, we're typically talking about our singing together, our praise time together. And so that's going to be our, our default this morning, just to help us so we kind of Lay that out. I understand that worship is much more than that, but that's, we're just kind of going to use that because that's typically what we think. And I'm going to give you, get this, we're going to have a 10 point sermon today. This is good. I'm going to talk about three myths about worship. I want to talk about kind of four reasons why we worship and then three kind of takeaways to help you worship. So, buckle up. And I promised not to strand the kids in kids' church too long. So if you're taking notes, warm up that pen. Let's go. Three, wor- three myths about worship and praise. One first myth. Here's a myth. You're, the myth is that restraint is respect. That by, by being proper and restrained and just kind of holding it all together, well, that's very respect. That's how I'm best showing respect to God. That restraint is is respect. Did you know that you catch in, in heaven how multi-sensory it is? There's singing, there's shouting, there's falling down, there's roaring, there's thunder, there's lightning crashing. I mean, John's just desperately trying to describe, but it's loud and it's expressive and it's dynamic. And when we gather and are singing together, we have the freedom to, to actively engage as much or as little as we want. But as we've been discussing lately, biblical worship is always physical. It's always physically involved. You can read that through the Bible. It's physical. And it's okay to, to politely uh, sing along. But, you know, I, I was at an event this week and I saw this, this guy. And we were just singing these amazing songs. And he, he just he stood like this the whole time. And more more kind of... And just kind of gazing or looking around, like totally distracted. And I thought, 
You are in the presence of the living God. Our worship leader is bringing us into the presence of God and you're acting like you don't care. And I, I just wanted to say, do you understand the privilege that we have at this moment to worship, to engage? We might actually be disrespectful when we show such great res- restraint that it, it, it looks like indifference. Now, I also understand we're all at different stages of the journey. I'll tell you, tell you a quick college story. When I was in Bible college, I led a, a, a weekly chapel service. It was a midweek evening chapel service. And this was purely optional. Nobody had to come to this. And so there's usually 100, 150 kids that would, that would come. And it was all the people that wanted to be there. So that made it kind of fun. And we were doing whatever new songs were going on at the time. We were doing this stuff. And there was always this kid who was sitting in the front row. And he would just stand stock still. I'm like, why does that guy even come here? He just looks like he's like, like, like all he ever eats is oatmeal. I mean, he just looks so bored and boring. And like, I didn't really know him. I was a senior. He was a freshman. I'm like, that's ridiculous. He was, I, I'm sorry to throw Pastor Stephen on the bus. He was from Saskatchewan, Canada. <laughs> and, uh, I was just like, why is it? Yeah, so is my wife. That's true. <laughs> Forgot about that. He was from Manitoba, Canada. And, um, and one day after, after the chapel service, he comes up to me. He says, I just, I just want to thank you so much for doing this every week. I've, I've never experienced worship like this in my life. I'm like, whoa. First of all, Lord, I repent for my attitude. Secondly, I, cause I was just pouring all kinds of judgment on this kid. From where he was coming from, standing was a massive step forward. So I get that we are in, in stages on the journey. So I'm giving you freedom around that. But remember what we've been saying lately. If our, if we're talking about that our relationship with Jesus is a walk with Jesus, it's, it's movement. It's not a walk on a treadmill. Jesus is taking us places. So, Let's pursue some progress in that and increasing levels of freedom. Okay, so restraint is not respect necessarily, but that's the myth. The second myth is that praise is a performance. That we're here, you know, that we're performing for God and we're showing God how good we can sing or, you know, how well we can play our instruments. No, it's not a performance. Do you notice that the, in how many times those elders were talking, they, they, they go down and they lay their crowns. Uh, we sing a song, we fall down, we lay our crowns at the feet of Jesus. Or you sing an old hymn, we cast a crown with many crowns. We're talking about casting our crowns before him. They're not showing off, hey, look at this great crown. The crown represents kind of their, uh, you know, their righteousness and, and, and um, the sense of a kind of authority God's given. They're not showing it off. They're submitting it to Jesus. They're not performing. They're submitting to him. And I, you know, I appreciate so much, uh, Christy, that... You know, you've got our worship team rehearsing week and you prepare and you try to kind of do your best for us. But it's not because our worship team is performing for us. Psalm 33.3 says, play skillfully for the Lord. But that, that's there, it's not a performance to somehow impress us or even to impress God. It's so that they can be kind of as undistracting as possible so that they can lead us into worship. Praise is not a performance. Third myth is that repetition is wrong. Oh, that's not really worship. Some of your songs, Brian, they just, you sing those words too many times over. How many like the Hallelujah Chorus? 167 times. Hallelujah. 
It's got, it's just one of the greatest pieces of music ever written, isn't it? The bass is going to that part, and he shall reign forever. Then the tenors bring it in, and he shall reign forever and ever. And then the elves and the tenors come in, and then this echo is going back and forth. You're just like the swelling of this music, like, ah! But mostly what they sing is hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. I was in a worship service when we were in Jerusalem, and it was led by a a, a messianic um, worship team. So they're Jews who believe in Jesus. And I tell you, we sang a lot of hallelujahs for an hour. It was amazing. Repetition, the myth is that repetition is wrong. But what did you see as we read? They sang a new song. They sang holy, holy, holy. They sang these songs over and over again. Repetition is not a problem. Why do we have to sing repetitive words? One of the benefits of singing something with repetition is it helps you to think less and less about the words and engage more and more with the presence of God as we worship. So you're thinking less about getting the words right, getting the language right, and you're able to just, in a sense, it moves aside the specifics and you're able to engage in the presence of God. So don't be afraid of it. It it can really help you engage with that intimacy of his presence. So that was three myths about worship. I wanted to kind of bust those up for you that restraint is respect and praise is a performance and the repetition is wrong. But I want to give you kind of four reasons from Revelation of why we worship God. And that picture there is from Laodicea in Turkey. And I just put that in the background because I wanted that to sort of be the reminder for us. Remember, this was a church that had gone lukewarm. They had gone pretty passive. They weren't hot. They weren't cold. They, they were just kind of drifting along. They were just kind of coasting. And we're saying we want to be people who engage, who get just in love with Jesus. So that's kind of a reminder for you. There's four reasons. And first, I want to take you, go back to chapter 4, verse 11 with me. Chapter 4, verse 11. The living beings, the 24 elders, they're laying their crowns down before the throne and they're saying, verse 11, you are worthy, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and they exist because you created what you pleased. One of the reasons we worship God is because he is the creator of all things. Listen, church, God is the creator of all things. He's not the overseer of some evolutionary process. He's the creator of all things. Virtually every writer of New Testament books refers to God as creator. Jesus himself refers to that. You, you, you cannot get away from that. It's not just a revelation. I mean, a Genesis 1, 2, and 3 thing. It's throughout scripture. God is the creator. And creation is the ultimate act of authority. Bringing something to being is an act of ultimate authority. And because we're created by God and we're created for God and we're created in God's image, we are His. We belong to Him and we are obliged to Him. That's why we're created to worship God. Remember, I said we'll worship something, but we're created to worship God. And the Creator always has authority over its his, his or her creation. Think about an artist who paints a picture. That artist gets to decide what happens to that painting. Do I sell it? Do I keep it? Do I give it away? Do I make prints and, and, and sell the prints and keep the original? What do I do with that? The artist always has authority over the creation and we are God's, 
Paul said it in Ephesians chapter 2, that we are God's masterpiece created for good works in Christ. You are his creation. And as a believer in Jesus, you are his new creation. You have double reason to worship him. So creation itself inspires awe. Uh, Becky and I, we, if we can, we're going to try to get a trip up to Kings Canyon this afternoon. I want to go because the river is going to be really high right now. And there's nothing as awesome as that Kings River just going down the canyon and it moves boulders and trees are swept away. And it's like, ah, it inspires awe, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to bow down and pray to the river, right? I'm not going to pray to the, to the snow for becoming water. I'm going to say, God, thank you so God, you're amazing. We worship because he's the creator. Secondly, we worship because Jesus was slain. Or New Living Translation, he was slaughtered for our sin and for our salvation. Chapter 5, verse 9. Right? You are worthy to take the scroll, Jesus, and break its seals and open it. For you were slaughtered and your blood has ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. There's no one that's exempt from what God has done through Jesus Christ. Everyone is eligible for salvation because of Jesus. No one else has made a way for you to be cleansed from your sin, to be forgiven, to be made right, to have the freedom. Chrissy, you were talking about that before. And you cannot repay Jesus. One of the songs we sometimes sing, and it's, it, it trips me up a little bit, and I, I know it's technicality, but we sing, Jesus paid it all, all to Him I owe. And I understand the sentiment. We're just saying, Jesus, I'm, I'm completely yours. But you know, it might convey the wrong impression because I actually owe him nothing because my salvation is completely paid for. Jesus paid it all. Nothing now I owe. If I'll receive his free gift of salvation. We, we worship because Jesus was slain for our sin and for our salvation. Worship is not a repayment. We're not somehow paying God back. Worship is an act of submission. It's laying ourselves down. It's approaching Him saying, Jesus, You are the one who's worthy because You paid for my sin. And if I cannot pay for my own sin, if Jesus, if You don't pay for it, I face eternal judgment and, 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 and eternity in hell without You. Jesus, You are worthy. I would say the third reason here that we worship God is we worship because God is holy and eternal and he's just and I know there's a lot more describers descriptions we could give but but for example just go to chapter 4 and verse 8 and these living beings are they're just stunning and they see all things and they're their day after day, it says, verse 8, Each of these living beings had six wings, and their wings were all covered with eyes inside and out. And day after day and night after night, they kept keep on saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, the one who was, who is, and who is still to come. He is eternal. He is holy. He is just Look at, I'm going to just jump to chapter 15, verse 4. Who will not fear you, Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous deeds have been revealed. The day is coming when everyone will say, Oh, right. Ah, God. We, we thought we knew better. Chapter 19, verses 1 and 2. 
After this, I heard what sounded like a vast crowd in heaven shouting, Praise the Lord, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. His judgments are true and just, and he has punished the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality, and he's avenged the murder of his servants. You know that there's people who are dying for the name of Christ and have been for the last 20 centuries, and the day is coming when God will make it right. God, you sure wait a long time. For us, it's a long time. For those who are in his presence... Not a problem. Not a problem. For us, it feels too long. But He is just. And He will make all things right. And so we worship Him because He is holy. He is completely other, completely set apart, completely perfect in, in ways far beyond what we could describe. He is, he, he is, he is, His motives are completely perfect. He rescues us because of His holiness. We, we need God's eternal nature so that He's not temporary because we are facing an eternity and we need to know that our eternity is secure with Him. And we need God to be just, to make things right finally one day when we will appear before Him. And we need to be able to count on His merciful justice that He keeps His promises. So we worship God because He is all those things. He is holy and He is eternal and He is just. And one more reason from here, and of course there's many more reasons, we worship because we are simply told to worship. Chapter 19, verse 10. John's getting this message from this angel. And he's saying, the angel says, write all the stuff down. And then I fell, verse 10, I fell down at his feet to worship him, the angel. But he said, no, no, don't worship me. I'm a servant of God, just like you and your brothers and sisters who testify about their faith in Jesus. Worship only God. I mean, if nothing else, we are told to worship God. Oh, Brian, I, I don't really do the singing thing. It's, yeah, you should hear me sing. Or you should not hear me. I can't, I can't carry two. No worries. Old Testament also says, make a joyful noise to the Lord. So there goes that excuse. Well, I, I just, I just feel so kind of unworthy. Well, we're, we're going to get to that in a moment. Well, no. We worship because we're told to worship. We bring our praise to God because He deserves it. He's our Creator. He's holy and he's just. And he's he's uh, eternal and he's righteous. Jesus is the one who's paid for our salvation. Let me wrap up with three takeaways to help us worship. First is this, that he's worthy regardless of our feelings. He's worthy regardless of our feelings. Have you just feel like, man, I am just, I have blown it. I, I can't even. I mean, God does not want to see me today. Ever ever had that feeling? God, I, I, you cannot possibly want my praise today. The way I just, the, the way I just kind of lost it with my kids. Really? You want to hear praise like from me? Kind of the way I gossiped, the way I insulted somebody. You want it? And, and the Bible says, you know, how is it that, you know, praise comes from Praise and cursing comes from the same lips. It should not be, James says. But listen, he is worthy regardless of our feelings. No matter what. Verse 8, chapter 4, verse 8. He who was 
and who is and who's still to come. The consistency of God is unparalleled, unmatched. And our feelings go up and down, right? But his worthiness doesn't. You dog owners, think about this for a moment. How many dog owners in the house? Oh, wow. Okay. We got to get on board, don't we? All right. We used to have a dog. Satchel. Sweet Satchel. I should have brought a picture of Satchel. I still miss him. You know, and here's the thing about Satchel. He just was like, he was happy to see me no matter what. He might have left a big old present in the middle of the carpet, right? He done a bad thing. And guess what? He's like, oh, I'm here. <laughs> Hi. Don't you want to love me? And God's not the frustrated dog owner, but we're the dog. We make a mess in the middle of the living room floor and God says, come anyway. Come anyway. Your feelings are not the determining factor. God's worthiness is. He is worthy regardless of how we feel. So when those things happen, you can fully engage in worship. We repent quickly. We bring it to God. Say, God, I cannot believe I did that. I just repent that to you. I, I, I confess that. I'm sorry. We surrender to him and worship and let him do that work of restoring us. Second of three takeaways to help us worship God is that our prayers add to heavenly worship. Our prayers add to heavenly worship. I love this in, I think it's chapter 5, um, verse 8. And when he took the scroll, the four living beings and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp and they held gold bowls filled with incense which are the prayers of God's people. Okay, think about this. Your prayers, the things you prayed about yesterday or this morning, last week or tomorrow, those prayers that you sometimes feel are ignored or unanswered are put in this bowl, these bowls. And that's the description. It's not physically happening, but these are ways that John's describing. And those bowls are brought to the presence of Jesus and they are a fragrant incense that rises to Him. Your prayers are contributing to the worship of heaven. Now think about that. Your prayers are contributing to the worship of heaven. There's these elders that say, hey, Jesus, these, these things have been prayed. I just think that's inspiring. Have, I mean, prayer is the one place where earth and heaven overlap in our lifetimes. It's the one place where earth and heaven overlap. Your prayer adds to heavenly worship. You get to participate now what's happening there. Third thing, you're not alone in worship. You're not alone in worship. I don't know if you caught what's happening up there, right? Verse 11, I looked again, I heard the voice of thousands and millions of angels around the throne, the living beings and the elder, and they sang in a mighty chorus, worthy is the lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea, living and dead, all are raising their voices. 
in worship. It's massive. It's huge. And when we sing together, when we lift our voices, we are joining that vast, expansive crowd. And this world has a way of, I don't know what for you, but this world has a way of making me feel alone. Nobody understands. Nobody gets it. Right? Nobody you know, I remember being a little kid, you know, you go through hard times and say, nobody loves me, everybody hates me. Right? Remember those feelings? Something about worms in there, right? <laughs> you are not alone. When we raise our voices, we're not the, you know, the 250 people in this room. We're joining the 24 elders, the four living beings, the millions of angels, the vast expanse of all creatures everywhere. You know, today, if Becky and I make it up to King's Canyon, it's not just that the river is rushing by. The river is praising God. The Bible says the trees are waving their hand. They're waving their branches in praise of God. Jesus said, if you don't worship the rocks, the very rocks are going to cry out. I do not want to be outdone by a dumb old rock And when we gather, I know some of the songs, some of you think, I don't like this song. I don't either, some of them. No offense, Christy. (laughs) She gets to hear about the ones I like and don't like. doesn't matter. It's not about me. It's not about my preference. It's not about my tradition or my history. It's about worship the living God Almighty. And when we gather and we bring our praise together, We are joining a very large crowd. And your participation, my participation, is is, is meant to be an encouragement to each other. You know, when I, if I, if I'm in a worship service and, uh, and I see someone else really just engaging with the Lord, I might, I may be like, you know, maybe somebody's like pretty expressive. I think, wow, I wish I had that kind of freedom, but it's inspiring to me. Or, Anyway, I could go on. I promise not to strand those kids up there. Worship team, why don't you come and join us? We're going to sing one very familiar, beloved song of our heritage called Holy, Holy, Holy. And as we do that, I want you just to sing. Don't worry about how good your voice is. I don't want you to sit here and say, well, if I could sing like Christy or if I could... Sing like Lindsay, if I could sing like Kristen, then, then, no. Don't fall for these myths that restraint is respect, or that praise is performance, or that repetition is wrong. Don't, don't forget these reasons. We worship because God is your creator, that Jesus was slain for our sin and our salvation, that God is holy and just and he's eternal. And we're commanded to do it. We're told to worship. So, The little takeaways to help you. He's worthy regardless of your feelings. Your prayers add to heavenly worship. And you are not alone when you lift your voice in praise. Let's stand together. Christy, lead us in the song.